I thank God for all who have led us so beautifully in worship today as we continue a sermon series called Epiphanies. We're talking about different scriptures and having different messages that involve an epiphany. Today's sermon will also serve to kick off a year-long emphasis here. Our theme for 2024 at Second Baptist Church will be a year of testimony, sharing our stories. So we're going to be emphasizing sharing our stories of faith in our church this year. And so today, I would like to kick that off by sharing my story, which is the title of the sermon. And I'm going to start by reading from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word, help them to hear your word, and Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. The Apostle John understood the importance of testimony. He wrote his first epistle to share his experience of the Son of God and to have fellowship with other believers thereby. John talks about what he has seen, heard, and touched. In other words, how he has sensed the God revealed in Jesus Christ. Today, I want to follow John's example by sharing my story of faith with you. I want to share with you some of the ways that I have sensed God and experienced God for the sake of our fellowship with one another. I was raised in a Christian home in the small town of Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. As a baby, I was dedicated to God at First Baptist Church of Greenville, where my parents were involved. We later shifted to a Methodist church closer to home, and then shifted to a Lutheran church where my parents served as directors of the music ministry. At home, my mom taught me Bible verses including John 3:16 and the 23rd Psalm. She also taught me how to commune with God out in nature. Sometimes she would take my brother Rick and me up to a beautiful open-air chapel in the mountains so we could just pray silently and meditate and walk around and commune with God in the beauty of creation. When I was young, my mom often sang me to sleep with a beautiful Baptist hymn that says, God will take care of you through every day or all the way. God has indeed taken care of me and I am grateful. My dad taught me faith mainly by example. He is an incredible singer and crowds are always amazed by his voice, yet he is a humble 
person. That has always impressed me. I learned from Dad that Christians are to comport ourselves with humility that deflects glory to God. My dad is a man of integrity, too, and it shows in his actions. I remember one day during my childhood when my mother, my brother, and I were sitting in the car in some parking lot somewhere, and Dad was outside talking to a stranger. When I asked what was going on, Mom explained that Dad was helping this man because he was in need. It was never a surprise for me to find my parents helping someone. I suppose it was a combination of parental influence, church involvement, and the grace of God that precipitated my prayer of conversion. One night at the dinner table, when I was about seven years old, I said a silent table blessing to myself, and during that prayer, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I wanted forgiveness of my sins, and I wanted to live a Christian life. Throughout middle school and high school, I did intentionally live a Christian life. In sixth grade, one of my friends wrote a paper for English class in which he described me as, quote, fanatically religious. <laughs> my main interest, however, was sports, especially playing baseball and basketball. I was a conscientious student and involved in extracurricular activities such as student government, uh, FCA, newspaper, and the like. While I was dedicated to academics, athletics, and extracurriculars, my faith, despite my classmates' description, was rather immature. Still, I did experience God as a teenager. For example, when I was in 10th grade, I struggled with Algebra 2 mightily struggled with Algebra 2, and I studied hard and even got the help of a tutor, but I just could not master the material. When the time came for the final exam, I needed a high score just to eke out a B- minus for the year, and I arrived at school that morning of the exam about 10.25, thinking I had a few minutes to spare, but the halls were empty, and it was eerily quiet and I thought to myself, oh no, maybe this exam started at 10 o'clock and not 10.30. It sure had. I ran down the hall, scampered down the steps, slipped into the classroom, grabbed an exam. I was about 30 minutes late for a 90-minute test. I looked at the first page, saw several problems I could do. Second page, had no idea about those problems. I started to panic, and in that moment, I put my forehead on the desk, and I silently, with feeling, said a prayer, something like, God, please give me peace, and please help me to do my best on this exam. When I came up from that prayer, I did have a sense of peace come over me, and I answered the questions on the first page with confidence and somehow completed the questions on the second page. And it turned out, by way of my report card, that I must have gotten a high enough score to get a B- for the year in that class. And to this day, I remain fully convinced that God helped me on that algebra exam. I have no other explanation. 
At church, I went through confirmation classes in the Lutheran tradition. And for two years in a row, I served as a liturgist on Youth Sunday, meaning I intoned the prayers and read scriptures during the worship service. At the end of one of those services, a woman in the church said to me, you know, you would make a good pastor. I thought nothing of it. My plan was to focus on sports and music and to be a school teacher when I grew up. After graduating high school, I enrolled at Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina, and my freshman year was rough. Because I had no interest in the party scene, I found myself alone in my dorm room many, many nights, studying, playing guitar, and reading scripture. Looking back, I can see how God used that difficult period of my life to draw me closer to Christ and to develop musical skills that I would later use in ministry. During my sophomore year, I was really distressed one Friday night. I was lonely, discouraged, and my heart felt like it weighed 50 pounds in my chest. I felt like I had hit rock bottom. And I remember alone in my dorm room in the dark, I cried out to God in prayer, saying, God, please help me. If I am not truly a Christian, please make me one right now. Please come into my life and take over. Help me, Lord. I thought I knew God and that I was a genuine Christian, but I wanted to be sure. I wanted to live an authentic Christian life. After that experience, my faith began to mature, especially after I transferred to Furman University. There I planned to major in communications, and so the first step was to take a public speaking course. The professor noticed that my speeches were filled with theological and biblical and spiritual themes, and although he was an outspoken agnostic, he actually advised me to take a religion course the next semester. So I did, and I loved it, and I changed my major to religion. It was invigorating to investigate scripture from an academic perspective and to study theology and ethics and how Christianity relates to other major world religions. During my junior year at Furman, I began to feel God calling me to ministry. At that time, my main interest was music. I was writing songs and playing music at coffee houses and churches. I was leading music for Christian ministries such as Young Life and Campus Outreach. Although my main ministry was music, I started to feel a call to preach. During my senior year, I studied abroad with the religion department in Israel, Greece, and Italy. It was an amazing experience. We visited the city of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Sea of Galilee, the ruins of Philippi, and many other holy sights. It was illuminating and inspiring. One day toward the end of the trip, we were in Assisi, Italy, and I was standing alone outside right near the Basilica of St. Francis of Assisi. I had been feeling more and more like God might be calling me to preach, and as I looked out from the mountaintop over the beautiful Tuscan countryside, I began to prayerfully read Isaiah 55, one of my favorite chapters from my pocket Bible. 
Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I thought God wanted to speak to me, so I said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. A nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God. I started thinking maybe that nation is a church that I'll end up pastoring. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. As I read about God's word going forth and accomplishing what God desires, I began to feel uh, more strongly than ever before that God was calling me to be a preacher. I continued reading, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And though it had been quiet for a long time, right when I read that part about the mountains and hills breaking into shouts of joy before you, a rooster crowed. And it echoed across the entire countryside. This was a singular epiphany for me. It might sound crazy, but during that mystical moment of prayer and scripture reading, I heard the roosters crow as the mountains and hills breaking forth into shouts of joy before me, confirming that God was indeed calling me to preach. After finishing my degree at Furman, I worked as a youth minister at the First Baptist Church of Greer, South Carolina, and this is when I decided to become a Baptist. My multi-denominational upbringing had kindled an ecumenical spirit in me and a respect for various traditions, but I felt most at home in the Baptist denomination. So I confessed my faith publicly, was baptized by immersion, and officially became a Baptist. God then led me to Wake Forest University Divinity School to do a Master's of Divinity, and that is where I met my brilliant, powerful, beautiful, amazing wife, Dana. I fell for her as fast as lightning flashes in the sky. I knew I wanted to marry her after our second date. Since we had Greek class together, I thought I might write her a love note in Greek. You know, that'd be real romantic. Problem was, I didn't know much Greek. So the note translated said, Dana, you are good. Love, Noel. <laughs> I had been praying for years and years that God would give me a wife before I turned 25. And Dana and I got engaged four days before my 25th birthday. I finished my Master of Divinity in May of 2004. And Dana and I were married the next month. A week after that, I started work as senior minister of Churchland Baptist Church in Lexington, North Carolina, my first pastorate. The church soon ordained me to the gospel ministry, confirming the calling I felt, and I became a reverend. A year later, Dana finished her Masters of Divinity at Wake Forest, and God called us to Tennessee so I could pursue a Ph.D. at Vanderbilt University. Our move to Middle Tennessee was a very difficult transition. 
I was in class full-time, and Dana was trying to find a job in an area where we basically knew nobody. We prayed and prayed. Dana researched and applied and interviewed, and right when our money was about to run out, she landed a job working for the General Board of Discipleship of the United Methodist Church in Nashville. God had provided for us. I still remember we were so happy the day we found out she got that job that we literally ran around in the backyard singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we also had our arms outstretched like airplane wings. As Dana got busy with work, I was slammed with school responsibilities, taking classes, conducting research, presenting papers, and assisting with teaching, preaching courses. On March 5th, 2007, we welcomed our first daughter, Maggie. Her name means Pearl, and she is a treasure. After Maggie was born, my coursework at Vanderbilt wrapped up, and I spent a few months as a stay-at-home dad. During that time, I sent my resume to any number of churches looking for a pastorate. None of them called. <laughs> But somehow, through a denominational connection, the First Baptist Church of Valdez, North Carolina, obtained my resume, and they soon called me as pastor. While we were living in Valdez on July 20th, 2010, Dana and I welcomed our second daughter, Nora. Her name means light, and she sparkles. As the father of two young daughters and the pastor of a growing church, I needed an extra portion of divine help and spiritual strength to complete my doctoral dissertation. And thanks to God, I graduated from Vanderbilt in 2012 with a PhD in homiletics, the study of preaching. Since then, God has called Dana and me to two places we never thought we would go. Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where I pastored for six years, and Richmond, Virginia, where I have been your pastor since... 2019. Life has been an adventurous exercise in trying to walk the path that God is laying out for us. When I have sought pastorates at specific churches or academic positions at certain institutions, they have not usually worked out. But when I have received unexpected phone calls about pastorates or emails out of the blue about adjunct teaching opportunities, they have often worked out. I have learned that I cannot control the course of my existence. I can only follow as God leads. While I'm responsible for making real decisions with real consequences, and while I can be proactive and assertive rather than just passive, there are too many factors in play for me to be able to dictate my own future. As Proverbs 16 says, the human mind plans the way, but the Lord directs the steps. My first priority is to follow Jesus in love for God and love for people, beginning with my family. Every church I have pastored has had numerous pastors throughout the years, but Dana has one husband, and Maggie and Nora have one dad, I aim to love them second only to God 
in order to be a godly husband and father. The family love we share is a divine gift that brings me unparalleled joy and a deep sense of fulfillment. Of course, it's a divine gift to be a pastor, too. <laughs> Over the past 20 years, I have found pastoring churches to be hard and rewarding, exasperating and exhilarating, demanding and wonderful, and very, very, very humbling. Pastoring is not a job to me. It is a vocation. It is a calling. God has called me to preach and pastor with both passion and precision, with both spirit and scholarship, with both head and heart. During a previous pastorate, a man once approached me after the Sunday service. He came to me at the sanctuary door he was about 70 years old or so, and unexpectedly he lit into me about the demonstrative nature of my preaching. Son, you need to calm down, he said. Other people were trying to leave and kind of shake my hand, so he pulled me off to the side and continued uh, quite angrily, we don't need you celebrating and carrying on up there like it's a, a touchdown. This is a church service, not a ball game. You need to settle down. I tried to hear him out patiently and listen to his concern. And I thought about his criticism that afternoon. and I've thought about it every now and then since. And you know what I've decided? He's right. This isn't a ball game. This is much, much more. So I think I'll calm down whenever Christ stops saving people from sin and death. I think I'll calm down whenever the Word of God stops changing my life and other lives for the better. I think I'll calm down whenever God stops seeking justice for those who are oppressed. I think I'll calm down whenever God stops offering joy for the downhearted, peace for the distressed, and forgiveness for sinners like me. I think I'll calm down when God has finished righting every wrong. I think I'll calm down when God has finished transforming this world into a new creation. I think I'll calm down when God's kingdom has fully come and God's will is actually done on earth as it is in heaven. Until then, you can expect no dispassionate discourse from me because the God I know the God I have experienced, the God who has taken care of me, the God who has forgiven my sins, the God who has given me abundant life on earth, the God who has a promise for me of eternal life in heaven, the God who has directed my steps along the way, the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ is simply too good to be worshipped with anything less than all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's my story. <laughs> That's my story so far, at least. And sometime I would love to hear yours. For God has made us into a priesthood of believers in order that we all might share 
the marvelous acts of God who has called us out of darkness into the beautiful light of Christ. Amen.